And now, finally, I'm here. On February 17, all my money arrived. I am less than 24 hours from making my dream come true. Fred's Front Porch Podcast is made possible by the generous support of Jenner Zeno of Studio Stargazer. Alex Oliphant, 2021's unofficial patron saint. Jean Louise Finch, our official patron saint. Coralie Day with Scott Knight. Edith Keeler, and listeners like you. Greetings, fellow traveler on this rock tumbling through space. I'm Fred. This is my front porch. Come on up, have a seat, and let's talk a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Let's buy a little white house on the corner of nothing and nowhere. We'll grow tomatoes and drink mojitos on the front porch stairs. Purely personal. Normally, I will bring you commentary of some sort about social or political situations, or I will bring you the best art I can find or create. I will continue with that next week. This week, I'm going to talk to you on a purely personal level. This is for my friends, and since my audience is microscopic, it's almost a certainty that if you're listening, you're a friend of mine. This is about you, me, and us. This will be on Patreon on Sunday night, where most of you will hear it, and on the podcast apps on Tuesday, where almost no one listens. If you would like to help me out, you could share my show with your friends. I would love to grow our audience. That, however, isn't what I'm here to discuss tonight. This is about finally making my dream come true. No, Valerie Bertinelli hasn't asked me to dinner. Darn, darn, darn. Nope, Sarah Nimitz still hasn't agreed to appear on my show. I'm still hoping to hear from you, Sarah. No, Snuffy Walden hasn't introduced me to Aaron Sorkin yet. I don't believe Snuffy has ever heard a single second of this show, but he has been a greater friend to me than I had any right ever to hope. Those are lovely dreams. But they have only the most tenuous connection to reality, and none of them is essential to me. They would just be nice. This is about the dream that makes the rest of my life as beautiful as it can be. It's my hope and belief that on Monday night, I will, for the first time in more years than I care to admit, be sleeping in my own place. I have had that privilege previously. When I first moved back to Arizona, 
I managed it for several years. Rents, however, continued to increase. My paychecks didn't. My phone became more expensive. Groceries went up. I started teaching defensive driving for a second income. Dining out ended. My pathetic efforts at social interaction decreased and finally simply died. I learned to accept that I would never have another romantic relationship. After enough time, I stopped regretting that and I began celebrating it. Life became simple, but I couldn't afford to live alone anymore. When my father died 11 years ago, my mother went into a deeper depression than even I have ever faced. She stopped feeding herself. She stopped enjoying anything. She simply existed. After a few months of this, the family decided she should come live with me. And she did. I never asked her for rent or utilities or anything, but she helped me when my car would break down and she bought groceries. For the first year or so, she cooked meals, which was great for me. If I can't microwave it, I can't cook it. I used to be able to make a pretty good set of pork chops, but that skill seems to have slipped away from me over the years. So it was nice to be able to eat better food again. I wasn't in great shape, but I could make ends meet. Mom, however, never got over the loss of my father. As his only biological son, I was the person most like him. We have similar physical features. I try to think the way he did, but that would be the equivalent of me trying to play drums like Dave Weckl or Neil Peart. I know how it's supposed to be, but I can't do it. Dad was a genius. I am, at best, a fairly intelligent man, and even that is not a certainty anymore. I keep encountering more and more people more intelligent than I am. I'm also not as intelligent as I once was. I can't remember as much. I have lost a lot of the knowledge I once had, and my mind is much slower. This is probably a product of both age and poverty. Someone seems to have determined that poverty can reduce your IQ by as much as 14 points. No, I'm not going to look it up again. I knew that once, but the specifics are gone, and this is purely personal. I'm not proving anything tonight. We'll return to that next week. Mom's mind began to deteriorate noticeably. And she began to become increasingly angry and depressed. She became irate when I made any effort to be with a woman. If I went out, she got furious. That's probably among the reasons I've given up on that part of my life. When she fell and broke her hip, she was hospitalized and then in a facility to help her recover for quite some time. There's a name for that sort of place, but I've forgotten. When she came home, though all the medical professionals said it was unnecessary, she insisted on staying in her wheelchair. She began to forget things, and she was unhappy 
almost all the time. I asked my brother to help out, and once in a while he would. Mom couldn't deal with my sister. They never really liked each other much. But after more than four years, the situation was becoming untenable, and my brother became almost entirely unwilling to help. It was never a good time for Mom to visit, and I could get no relief. I finally told him that if he couldn't help sometimes, he could be in charge all the time, and that I would just drop Mom at his house, and there she could stay. She was his mother as much as she was mine. This resulted in the end of my relationship with my brother, and with my mother living for some time with his girlfriend in Phoenix, but not with him in Flagstaff. When it was determined she was about to take all of mom's money, I pulled my sister, her husband, my nephew, and his mother together to stage a kidnapping. My nephew and I walked in and took mom out of the house and drove her away without discussion. We took her to his mother's house and mom stayed there until my sister could get her house ready for mom. Mom was at my sister's for a week before she was moved to a group home she has been ever since. I could no longer afford to live alone. I managed it for a few months after mom left, but even with two jobs, I couldn't make ends meet. Mom begged me to let her live with me again, and most of my family objected. When I tried, they threatened me with legal action. I was forced to get roommates. I went on Craigslist and found a convicted felon who needed a place to stay. I gave him a chance. He paid his half of the rent for a few months, and I avoided poverty. I quit teaching a few months after he moved in because I couldn't stand teaching anymore. I hated myself for being what I felt was a worthless, worthless teacher, worthless, teacher worthless, because the administration forced me to stop doing everything of which I had ever been proud and judged me on my ability to track data. I pulled my retirement and I lived on that. My roommate quit his job because his boss was being an asshole and he never got another one. His girlfriend moved in with us and she paid a little rent for a couple of months but she quit her job too, and now I was supporting three people on my retirement. It was promptly depleted. I finally had to throw them out so I could get roommates who could pay. I went deeply into debt, even though I had paid it all off when I first pulled my retirement. My condition became steadily worse. I got two new roommates who promptly began fighting physically with each other and who rarely had the money to pay rent. My depression skyrocketed and I fell into a poverty I thought I would never face. My nice house became completely trashed as we had people moving in and out in an effort to pay rent. I went back to work, now selling direct TV, and I hated myself. My health was shot. My diabetes was raging, 
I was sick more often than I was at work, and the money I made couldn't support a dog. I left before we could get evicted, and my nephew got me an extended stay hotel room for two weeks while I tried to find the money to get even a tiny room of my own. I was there a little over a week when I went into the worst diabetic ketoacidosis of my life. My former best friend had called several times that day, and when I wouldn't answer, she sent the Mesa police to check on me. I have a memory of getting up off the bed to open the door, and then falling down. I think I fell on the bed, but I'm not sure. I woke up three days later in the hospital, equipped with what I hope will be the last catheter I will ever experience, and I was there for several more days before they sent me home. I had nowhere to go, but someone from my work had called to check on me every day, and she invited my dog Melanie and me to live with her and her wife and their three cats. I accepted. It turned out I owed the IRS more money than I could ever pay because, though I told them to take out whatever taxes were owed when I took my retirement, it turned out they didn't take enough. Whenever I opened a checking account, they began to take money I couldn't possibly afford out of it. The three of us made an effort at becoming a family. I put all of my money into their checking accounts, and we did our best to survive. My health was so bad that I wound up in the hospital 14 times in three years. I applied for disability. That takes much longer than you would think. I just kept waiting and waiting. I stopped selling DirecTV because I wasn't healthy enough to do it anymore. I drove for Postmates for some time, but I wound up making about $2 an hour after gas. I quit that too. I got my old job teaching defensive driving back. I could bring in $1,000 a month most of the time that way. We managed, barely, to avoid eviction for more than two years. The pandemic shut down my defensive driving classes, and I fought like Sisyphus to get unemployment. I finally managed it, and I handed all of that over to my roommates, who promptly took a trip to Utah where they spent the vast majority of it. That was really the beginning of the end for us. In November of 2020, they told me they were moving to Illinois on January 15, 2021. I was going to have to find a way to live on my own. I had no chance in hell. Finally, on January 6 of this year, my disability hearing happened and my lawyer was brilliant. I won. I won. I won. I won. By now, the girls and I were living entirely separate lives in the same house. I stayed in the front, they stayed in the back. I knew I would finally have enough to live on my own, but government moves on the geological scale of time. I would have nowhere to live between the time the girls left and my disability arrived. 
My landlord was my former best friend's boyfriend, and he probably would have let me stay there for a while. But I couldn't possibly pay enough rent for him even to make his payment, let alone any profit. He would finally have no choice but to throw me out. And then, a friend saved me. Jenner Zeno, with whom I have been working to create some incredible art over the last nine months or so, got permission from his roommate, David, for me to stay with them until I could put together the money to live on my own. And I've been here with them, living in a little cave, given all the privacy and understanding I could hope to have. I love them, but I can only handle other people for brief periods of time, and they don't mind that I spend most of my time hiding in here. They've been more than kind. And now, finally, I'm here. On February 17, all my money arrived. I am less than 24 hours from making my dream come true. I would love to say that I made it all alone, but that would be a straight up lie. I had help. I had lots and lots and lots of help. I got more money from friends than I could possibly have deserved. I got emotional support when my depression was sufficient for me to fill my syringe with enough insulin to terminate my existence. I had people remind me what love was. Sarah Nimitz wrote Shine, and she dedicated it to me at the recording of the album 2020 after she and Snuffy and a Mystery Sarah fan made sure I could get there to see history happen before my very eyes. I can't tell you how much effect that one piece of music has had on my life. I'm an atheist, but I love that hymn more than nearly any other piece of music. And it has shaped this show. It's a very close second to On Your Way and shows up just ahead of a song you've probably never heard called Wishing Well by my late hero, Kevin Quigley. After all the struggle and the strife, I will have a tiny studio apartment a mile or so from here. And between disability, Patreon, and the supporters of Anchor, I will have enough to live a simple, quiet life. If you're hearing this, it's likely you are keeping my utilities and phone on. If I wind up losing food stamps because I got disability, you're probably also buying my groceries. So this is about you too. You don't just keep me alive, you keep me wanting to be alive. Because for reasons passing understanding, you want to hear what I have to say. You, 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 you care. And that has made all the difference. So, thank you, my friend, for your love, your understanding, and for allowing me to believe that even in my microscopic way, I make a difference. I live alone, 
but I'm never alone because a part of you is here with me, keeping me company while keeping your distance. Obviously, I love you. Don't hurry in the dark I hear them calling when it starts And go They'll find you in the glen The horsemen closing in Rumbling These are the names of the people in our community. These are people 
to whom I am grateful not only for their financial support, but for opening their minds to my ideas. You may reject my ideas, but you consider them. And I'm honored to have the privilege of talking to you. Our patron saints are Alex Oliphant, Jenner Zeno, and Jean Louise Finch. I am adding to this list David Russell, who is giving me a place to live, thereby actually keeping me alive. Thank you, David. I'm beyond grateful. And I don't know if David has ever heard an episode of this show either. Our producers are Edith Keeler, Coralie Day with Scott Knight. Our patrons are Sherlock the Mystery Patron, Utopia 42, Kevin Boyce, and Joe March. Our supporters are Ken Wooten, Chris Donnelly, Corey Pluard, Claude Burt Lansden, Jesse Rogers, Virginia Rupert, the Mindwave podcast to which you should listen often, Scott Shelby, Mark Rosma, Michelle Freeman, Laura Engram, Elizabeth Bennett, and Zaroff. Our supporters are Judy Morris, Amos Stewart, Phil Parkman, Michelle Sylvester, Marley Maple Miracle, Ursula Phillips, Carrie Dedeo, Pavel Shabayev, Sarah Nimitz, John G., David Miller, Christine L. Patterson, Chuck Curry, Christopher Hitchens' friend, Corey, Natalie, and our tearless and tireless supporter, Jereen. Our anchor sponsor is Zara. Our anchor supporters are Lori Shea, Daniel H., Cindy Mandel, Corey, Piper K. Young, A.A. Milne, John Donovan, Stacy Height, and Sharon Ray. Thank you for sharing this journey with us. It is in the darkest skies that the stars shine most brightly. Thank you for shining with me. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll come visit the porch again soon. Until then, look for all the episodes on your favorite podcast app. We're on just about all of them now. Take care of yourself and each other. Produced by Studio Stargate.